Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. Okay, all right. So this morning we are going to be inside of Romans 4. We are going Romans 4, 1 through um, 8. We're in Romans 4. We are going 1 through 8. And um, I'm excited about teaching this. We've been moving through Romans 3, um, me and uh, Shirt Dog, and we've been just kind of bouncing back and forth preaching it. I wasn't sure if I was going to keep going into Romans 4, but it feels like it's fitting for the way the text has been flowing. Um, let me just tell you, I don't feel like we've done a great job of giving you the context for this, this particular book. So this is actually one of Paul's longest, um, it's one of his longest works. And, and, it, and it's, it's one of his most in-depth works. Like um, theologians really, really esteem this book because he's really driving home the gospel in a huge way. So if you, if you, you know, if you will, Paul is like, this is, if he's going to scream out something that is dear to him, in Romans, he's screaming it out. And, and we jumped in. We didn't start from the beginning, but we started from, uh, chap- from chapter 3 and because um, it just was fit for what we were dealing with that particular week. But I'm just kind of bring you up to speed on some of the stuff. So, Paul, I'm, I'm going to go back to, to Romans 1, 16. And if anybody knows... The 116 click, then you know what scripture this is. All right. So it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. If you were to say that the book of Romans had a theme, that particular verse would be the theme right there. Paul is pressing the point that the righteous will live by faith. And he's writing to the Romans, to the Roman church, um, but he's aware that they are contending with a, a, a message that is old, whether it's from the Jews, and it's about the law of works. It's about work, be better, do better. And he's concerned for the church, so he is like, driving the point home. And so as I'm working through what I'm going to be working through, very quickly also, and so, matter of fact, some of y'all with your fans and stuff, y'all can get this way and hit it this way a little bit too. Bring, put that breeze up here a little bit. All right. But as I'm working through this, whatever, what's important, the content I'm going to be hit is, is important. But actually the way he's having the conversation is just as important because he's on some like, like Paul's a big gangster. If you read this the wrong way, you kind of just go through it and you're like, oh, it's good stuff. But you got to realize how he's saying it in the context of the, that he's saying it in and who he's going at. So I just want to show you some of this stuff and we're going to have a good time in this book and we're going to make it quick. All right. So let's start. Chapter four. He says, what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefathers, according to the flesh? And you got to realize in chapter three, he basically just he went he started chapter three by going at the Jews, and he's actually leveling the field and putting them on the same field as the Gentiles because he's like, listen, man, he's like, all of y'all are sinners. He's like, you can talk all the stuff you want to, but y'all are sinners. And that just is what it is. Your works are not making you any better than anybody else. So he's, he's hurting feelings right now, all right? 
So he's hurting feelings and everything else or whatever. And then he goes into this whole idea of boasting as he gets to the end of the chapter. And I'm going to elaborate on that. I went into that last week, but I'm going to go more into that. So he touches on this boasting thing, and I'll give you more context as we go. But verse 4, he jumps in on Abraham. He says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So you got to think about it here, right? Paul brings up Abraham. And you got to think, like, why is he bringing up Abraham? Like, Abraham didn't mess with nobody. But Abraham is the Jews. That's their God. That's the father of their faith, right? So he's, like, playing that game where he's, like, he's going cutthroat. This is cutthroat stuff. Like, if you know the history and you know the context, it's like, Hold up, Jack. It's like when somebody talks about your mom. You're like, yo, I heard you. What about, what about that time your mom? And you're like, hold up, homie. Don't talk about my mom. That's what he's doing right here. You know what I'm saying? He's like, well, well, what about Abraham, though? And so he's hitting a nerve right there, right? So he's going to establish this law of faith by pointing at Abraham, all right? And so he says, in verse 3, he says, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he's knocking down this block that, the, that, that those who live by the law of works think that this is actually right doctrine and that's true. And he's like, yo, even the dude you call your father don't even live by that. Do you get where I'm coming from? So his tactic there, he's like, yo, I'm going to hit you real, real deep. When you hit somebody deep like that and you use a tactic like that, you have a huge opportunity for a really, really deep offense or you have a huge opportunity for them to hear what you're saying. And he's hoping that in faith that they're going to go, Dad, that is in our scripture. We, we actually say that all the time. Um, he actually was justified before God by faith. That is in our text. How are we going to fight this one? Get where I'm coming from? Um, I have a friend named Loso. He's a, he's a, he's a Christian rapper. Um, very on point with the gospel. His doctrine's on point and everything else. But um, He's got, he's become a part of this, uh, this battle league. So like, you know, does anybody know like hip hop battle and throw your hands in there like you don't care? All right. Okay, cool. All right. Some people don't. But hip hop battle is like super intense. It's like, you know, like, it's like, you know, like this and it's attracting huge crowds. It's getting really, really big. And it's one opponent. It's really some gladiator stuff. And you have guys and they're just like, I'll blow your brains out and kill everybody in the family. And like, it's really wicked and really crazy. But now you have Christian MCs that are actually getting into this whole arena and doing this thing. And, um, and so, and, and, and it's crazy because the, what they take as far as the mockery is out of this world. But some of them are so witty and clever with the way they present the gospel, it's taking the gospel into a really, really dark place. But long story short, my friend Losa, I was watching one of his battles the other day because he's like blowing up. And so he's talking to this guy, and this guy's like trying to say the most evilest stuff. And it's three rounds. And when it get to the last round, Loso starts giving them the gospel. And, I mean, he's like, like he's kind of mocking all of his kill, you know, I'm going to kill you stuff. And he's, he's, he's just pulling out the fakeness. I think he said something like, he's like, yeah, you said you're a killer, but, like, you work at Smoothie King. And he, like, went into it. He, like, he, he, he went into it. He pulled his car hard, really hard. And the dude was just like, because it was really, really worked at Smoothie King. You know what I'm saying? And all that. So, <coughs> so he went in. Um, so, um, so, so anyway, so Loso goes in on that. 
But then he hits this part, and he, he starts talking about this guy's son had passed away. And he stops the whole battle. He slows up, and he says it in rhyme. And, I'm, and the guy is, like, squared up, and I'm like, Loso's about to get put to sleep. He's about to knock Loso out. But Loso delivers this message to him, and he basically, he leaned on his son and, and hit that, hit that, like, and I couldn't believe it because I know he knew he was about to get locked out, knocked out too, but he just stood there, arms down, and he, like, pleaded with him. He's like, yo, you've lost a son already. He took that into the gospel, into, like, why are you putting this message out? And then he took it into Jesus Christ dying on the cross for him, and I was like, me and Monty were watching. I was just like, that's the most craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I just thought it was absolutely beautiful. But anyway, I just went through that super long story to get to the point. That's what Paul is doing right here when he's bringing up Abraham. He's pushing on that nerve because he needs him to hear this. Like this book is so important. It's so, so important because it is, at the end of the day, it's either the gospel or it's not. It either saves or it doesn't save. And that's what Paul is getting at. That's why he is making this argument so clear. It's so vital for his church to hear this. Church, it's so vital for you to hear this, for you to understand that it is not about our works, and it is about faith. It is about, like, you don't never have just a sin problem. You have a believing in Jesus Christ problem, right? Because the Bible says as we behold Christ, we're transformed, now, as you behold your sin, right, you can do all type of self-help all day. There's nothing really wrong with that. But it does not replace what the cross can do for you. And, 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 and so Paul is saying we got to get this right because either we're just doing religion or we're really followers of Jesus, right? Even when we're doing the Great Commission and spreading the good news or we're spreading something that's really not the good news. This is the bottom line right here, right? It's like when somebody, you know, you know, I know in black communities, everybody's your cousin. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's your cousin. Like, you just see in the street, like, that's my cousin. You know what I'm saying? Until, until they come to borrow something, then you be like, I don't know you, man. Like, what are you talking about? My cousin, my aunt, no, she used to date your cousin. He's locked up. We don't know you, man. Like, we don't know you. You know? It comes down to a situation like, yo, are we family or not? How do we know we family? We family because of blood, right? But what about this church? We're family because of the blood of Jesus Christ covers our sins, right? His blood covers our sins. So it could be, people could be in church all day. It doesn't mean they're family because if they subscribe to something that says that they are saved through their works, homie, you're actually not in the family, all right? You used to date somebody and whatever, and now you sneaked in here. But for us who believe in the blood of Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation by faith, that makes us family. All right, got the same bloodline pumping in our hearts and our veins. All right, and so he says in the scripture also, he says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. This word boasting is so big in this argument that Paul is trying to say. I told you earlier, I want you to hold on to this as we're talking. He is making the argument, the righteousness, excuse me, the righteous shall live by faith. That is the core of this whole book. This is what he is pushing. This is what he is fighting for. And he makes a big argument with this word boasting. 
And I hit some things last week. I want to touch on them again really, really quick. Boasting is the anti-gospel because it destroys relationship amongst us and it destroys relationship with God. Because it's not the gospel of faith. It's not the law of faith at all. The law of works gives us room to boast. All right? So if I say that, hey, man, listen, I'm out here and I feed people and I take care of people and everything else, I can boast about that. And I may get my award today or whatever. I may get rewarded and people say, Jay, you're an awesome guy or whatever. But it doesn't weigh up before a holy and perfect God. He doesn't think it's cute. Right? The only thing he thinks is cute is what his son Jesus did. Right? And then he rejoices over our good works that we do out of faith that we've got from leaning into Christ because the work of his son is what's transforming us. But if we're doing the work on our own, it doesn't really mean anything because who can mount up to what it cost him to redeem us? He gave his son. You get where I'm coming from? Y'all get the idea there? All right. I'm trying to move quick, so if I'm moving too fast, y'all slow me down. But it cuts off true relationship. In chapter 3, verse 22, one of the things we read over was this right here. It says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for, who be- for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. He's cutting hard. He says, for all have sinned. The Jews aren't trying to hear that. They're like, yo, we're holy, we're righteous, whatever, this and that. He's like, nah, y'all are sinners like everybody else. You're just like me. He's killing the distinction. Those who live by the law of works don't want to hear this distinction. It doesn't matter whether you're a hyper-religious Christian who thinks you're actually good or if you're actually a sinner in the street and you're shaking your finger at the church like, yo, those people think they're awesome and everything else and this and that and blah, 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 whatever, and they're messed up like everybody else. Well, you just actually made your distinction through, too. You just, you just boasted in where you're at and you're not like them. Right? We find this in the, in, the, in the core of every single argument in this country right now when it comes to separation. It's, it's in everything. So Paul is going at them because the Jews, they do not want a distinction. Those who are, believe in the law of works, they do not want a distinction. The reason they don't want a distinction, because it kills their self-righteousness and their platforms, and it knocks them down to the people who they're trying to be distinct from. Right? So all of a sudden, the education doesn't give them favor with Christ. It doesn't, it doesn't make them any better to a person who doesn't have education. Now we're on the same, same, same playing field. We get to encourage each other, right? You get to use your education and further what God is doing. You get to even help your brother out with it. But before Christ, it puts us on the same level, right? Where we live, our neighborhoods, everything else or whatever, Nobody's cute no more. We, we're in the same. We're both in bad shape without Jesus Christ. And we're both in the same shape with Jesus Christ. We're both loved, right? And we both received this amazing gift. So that's the thing. He's knocking out that thing right there, that law of works idea or whatever. He's hitting at the Jews or whatever. And even in, verse, in, in chapter 3, in the very beginning, he gives them a little props. He goes, yeah, it's awesome and everything. You know what I'm saying? The oracles of God came through your people. And, man, that's amazing. And, yo, shout out. But you're still a sinner. That's what he's telling them. He's like, you're still a sinner. You're still in need of the gospel of Christ. You're in the same playing field as everybody else. That's what he's hitting them with, right? 
The gospel says we are the same and that we are both sinners, have offended a holy God and have no option or hope for salvation outside of Jesus Christ. So the playing field is laid bare, right? All right, in verse 4 it says this. It says, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. What he's talking about in verse 4, what Paul is referring to, he's talking about justification. He's talking about when you respond, when Christ is calling you and wooing you and pulling you near to him, and you decide that everything you're trying to hold on, and you ain't really deciding. God's doing a work in your heart, but he lets us think that, but you get where I'm coming from. But when you let go of this thing and God brings you into his marvelous light, he justifies you instantly. We've talked about this so many times. He, he, his blood, the blood of Christ wipes your sin away, and you are at the pinnacle, 100% righteous before the Lord. That's how he looks at you. Then there's this other thing called sanctification. And your day-to-day, if we were looking at a bar graph, you're up here 100%, but your day-to-day looks like this, but the Holy Spirit is faithful. And it's like some days you're tripping or whatever, and this and that, whatever, then you slipped up. I had to get like five new ports in, and then you slip and you get back up here or whatever, and then you're like, man, I shouldn't have went over there or whatever, and then boom. And God is like faithful walking with you through it. You get where I'm coming from? But here's the thing. Those who live by the law of works, they're not trying to hear nothing like that. But Paul is telling us, he's like, no, this is, this is it. This is it. There is no other it. This is it. This is it. You know, normally when... This is the sad thing. This is why this is so important. Because what's happening in churches all across this country... In the world right now, this morning, these people are doing altar calls. And they're saying, hey, come give your life to the Lord. And when people come up to give their life to the Lord, the message is sounding like this. You need to go do this. You need to do this. You need to stop doing that and do this. And there's a rule. There's a bunch of rules. That's that's what's going on. That's what Paul is getting at is that the law of works is a stumbling block for people who are running to get freedom. And it's not freedom. It puts another, puts them on a treadmill to start running and doing more work than before. And the message doesn't sound like, come, let me tell you what Christ has done for you. We're saved by his works. He already ran the marathon, Right? He ran it for us, and he did it perfect. Then he takes that perfect resume, and he places it on us. And then he takes off our filth, and he took it to the cross, and he died for it. Then he, then he rose up again three days later. And on that, I'm going to do a spin like this because it's so crazy. I just got to. I'm sorry. I ain't trying to show out. I'm just saying. He did it. I'm spinning for him. It ain't my spin. All right. The Lord dances over you. The Bible says he actually rejoices and dances over us. I don't know what that looks like, but I know it got to look something like what Michael Jackson used to do. That's all I'm saying, all right? 
It says, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Then he's going to cut their throat again. He's going at him. You ready? Verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. He's jabbing at him again. He did a loso on him. He just hit, he just hit David's. They do. It's their God. It's their God. And he's like, even David, your patriarch. Even he was on what I'm on. Y'all are missing it. This is what Paul is trying to say to them. And he's, he's, I keep saying cut your throat and all this other stuff, all right? Let's just say he like, he love tapped him. Because he's doing this out of love, right? This isn't about just making them feel stupid and like you missed it or whatever and everything else. But he's trying to, he's trying to give it to him, right? But verse 7, he says this right here. He's doing this because he wants to pull on their idol. He wants them to see the light for real because they're causing people to miss Missed the good news. Verse 7, he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. That's what David said. That doesn't sound like work real hard and you may make it in. That sounds like faith. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Here's the thing. God has never been naive about the condition of mankind. We're the only ones naive about it. We're the ones who are naive about our self-righteousness and our tendency to actually worship idols and pull away from the creator of the creator of heaven and earth who made every single thing. We don't even have a category to even understand what what that even is. So we're prone to just turn our eyes somewhere else. And so God not being naive and loving us in mercy and grace, he did something about the pitiful condition we found that find ourselves in. And he redeemed us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. This isn't do good. This isn't do better. This is, I did it better for you. You get where I'm coming from? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is pivotal that we say it just like that. You know what's so amazing about this message right here is that whether you've been a Christian for 30-something years or you just became a believer yesterday and the day before you were just out robbing, stealing, doing whatever, fornicating, whatever the case may be, you can actually say this good news the same way a person who's been living for 30 years. You get where I'm coming from? Because this message isn't about you. It's not about how awesome you are. It's about how awesome he is. So you get to proclaim it boldly. Say, I'm a, I'm a wreck, but he died for my sins, and I'm saved by mercy and grace. I don't deserve this, but I guarantee if you keep looking that in the face, it'll start to do things to you and take you places you can't even imagine. You'll find yourself loving people. You'll find yourself repenting for things that you just, you get where I'm coming from? Paul understands this. He understands this concept of grace and mercy, and the reason he understands it so well is because, as we all know, Paul was persecuting the church. The people he's, the, what he's jabbing at right now, he was actually the worst. He was the chief sinner in this. He was an utter Pharisee. 
he was killing God's people. He was persecuting God's church. And then all of a sudden, Spirit of God hits him and calls him into his marvelous light. Had nothing to do with Paul. His heart wasn't repentant. Had nothing to do with him. This is the point. He's like, this is by faith. This is by grace. This is by mercy. This is God's doing that brings us all here up under all these people from different places who look different, walk, talk different, live in different communities, and brings us under one umbrella in unity. It's because of the blood of Jesus and because of what marvelous work that God is doing. Plain and simple. It's that. That's it. That's what we get to boast about. We don't get to boast about how awesome we are. I don't get to boast about being here. I'm no different from Paul. I was on my way to murder somebody. I was sitting in a church planning to murder somebody and walked out of the church and God hit me like a ton of bricks. Why me? I have no idea. But that's the type of God he is. He's merciful even to the wicked like myself. So you think I, you think, you think I should be telling a story about what I did or should I be telling a story about what he did to me? Do you get where I'm coming from? Paul outworked everyone, scholar and activist. You know, um, Paul says, he, he looks at everything he heaped up. All his works, all of his education, even his heritage, everything that made him the man in the sight of all his fellow Pharisees and everybody else. This guy's a good guy. This guy's about it. I'm standing on the sidelines. This guy's out here killing Christians, killing fake Christians left and right. People esteemed him. But when Paul came into the good news of Jesus Christ, when his eyes were open, Paul counted everything that he had, had, had accumulated, says as dung. Basically, he's like, this is a bunch of crap. It means nothing compared to Jesus Christ in this marvelous light that I've been called into. He's, he made a clear distinction. That is not truth. This is truth. Right? That's a beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with saying, I've been doing this church thing for like 20-some years, and I actually didn't get that. I think I, I, I thought I was doing something all the time. Or you may explore it deeper and go, my family did it, so I actually kind of did it, but I really don't even get it. The reason I'm saying that to you is because when we get into communion in a minute, I'm going I'm to be ready to baptize somebody if they want to get baptized. But I'm just saying if that's you and you've been on the wrong side of this conversation, don't be ashamed to stand up and go, I have been on the wrong side of it. There's nothing wrong with that. Count it as dumb. And now you get to start over and do what God has and walk with him. Man, he's got better waiting. He has better waiting. So who cares about what happened in the past, or whatever, this and that, or whatever you have to walk away from. You know, what Paul understood in that moment, Paul understood that he was in a situation. When God spoke to him, and he said, why are you persecuting me? Paul understood that he was in a situation. He was like, I'm, I'm in bad shape. He thought he was good before. 
He thought that was the story. I'm good, and I'm doing good things, and I'm a rider for God or whatever, and I cut off heads for his glory. I don't know what he's thinking, but something like that. But it was wrong, very wrong. But he was in a situation. And so I don't know if where I started in this text puts you in the situation that I would like for you to know that you're in if you're an unbeliever today, but I just want to jump back to it. Paul starts in the very beginning of this text um, in chapter 3. He starts off by saying, no one is good. Everybody is sin. All have fell short. What I want you to understand today is that you are in a bad, bad situation without Christ. You are in a bad situation, right? You're, You're in a bad situation because... There is nothing, as Paul is telling us, there is nothing based on works that you can do that would ever satisfy the wrath of God. And you can't even conceive the depth of your sin and how it works in this whole mess of what we see in the world going on today and how you share responsibility in that. You can't even understand that. You can't even understand that. You can't grasp that. But God grasps that. He's not naive about that, even though you may be. But what you can do today is by faith you can actually trust in him. And he believes it. He knows it so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins in your place. All your sin, all the sin of the whole world, and for all that who will believe, the wrath of God was put on his own son. And it says that he actually he actually joyed in watching it happening, knowing it would save so many, and it would make us family. It would make us blood, brothers and sisters. So my appeal to you today is that you come join this family. That's what I'm asking. If you want to, if you want to be a part of this family, after we start communion, I'll be over here. And if you want to come over and get dunked, then we'll jump in the pool and do it. And, you know what I'm saying, we'll make it happen, and we'll work through the gospel, and I'll be glad to do that. All right? Let's end my sermon today, y'all. Um, all right. Everybody still awake out there? All right. Y'all hot enough? All right. I think my hat is stuck to my head. Whatever. All right. What we're about to do right now is we're about to do communion. Um, if you're not a believer, let me, let me explain to you what we're doing today. Before Jesus went to the cross, he sat with the disciples, and he told them, he said, hey, do this in remembrance of me. And he sat, and he, um, and they broke bread, and they drank together. And the bread represents the body of Christ. He was foreshadowing what was going to happen. The bread represents the body of Christ being broken on our behalf, and the, and the drink represents his blood being shed for our iniquities. That's why when I said we're blood brothers and blood sisters, that we're actually family, that we actually do have, you know, blood in between us. It's his blood. It's the sacrifice that was made to bring us into this marvelous light. It's the thing that kills all of our boasting because we don't get to be a part of this family by works. We get to be a part of this family by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in what he did on the cross for our sins. And so 
We're not perfect people, but we are made perfect in him. But we trip and we stumble sometimes. And, and we do this. It's not just a simple tradition for us. It's something that we do. And, it, it, and it's, we, we take it with a very serious weight. And I advise the Bible says, if you're not a believer, don't come take this table. Don't be nonchalant about it. It really, really means something. Um, but the, what, the weightiness of it is that we, we are literally coming before the work of Christ. And the fact that he died and his body was broken and he was brutalized for our sins. And this is the way we celebrate this marvelous light we've been brought into and, and that we've been saved. Because once again, when we go back to the reality and the, the situation we find ourselves in, we find ourselves in a very bad place outside of Christ. Um, so we don't deserve to be here. That's why we celebrate him the way we do. That's why we sing songs to him and we worship him. Because everything that's in our story has been given to us. My life should have ended the day I was going to kill somebody. Either I was going to get killed or I was going to end up in prison. So I shouldn't be standing here eight kids later. I shouldn't be here hanging out with y'all. I shouldn't be headed to the beach today. I should be sitting in, in a cell with Bubba rubbing his back with baby oil or something. I don't know. It's, that's why I'm saying it's ugly. I'm just saying. That's what it could have happened. This is a bad communion message. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I messed that up. But y'all get where I'm coming from. So when you hear me rejoice, understand I'm rejoicing for real because I don't know what the other story looks like and I do not want to know. I just know that I have no idea why Jesus decided to come in my life or anybody's life in this room, but I'm grateful that we get to do this together. And I know that we are tripping and we stumbling, we working through stuff or whatever and everything all the time. That stuff doesn't matter or whatever. The blood of Jesus makes us family. And we can work through everything, every single thing else. I didn't hit this point today, but up real quickly before I step off stage, I heard Jeremy Shirky say this to me when we were meeting, but he, he, I'm going to steal it from him because he, he stole it from somebody else. But we're just talking about this idea of gracism. Unity through the blood of Jesus Christ, right? If you don't have gracism, what else is there but racism and elitism and sexism and all these other isms to separate us? We're left with our boasts that divide. But the blood of Christ actually unifies us. I need for us to get this church because it has to be the story for every single one of us that say that we're his disciples. And if we're going forward making disciples, we got to tell it exactly the same every time. The power is in his blood. Power is in faith in him and what he did in his finished work. Not our work. All right? We completely have gone off the, the train tracks when it starts to become something else. You don't make it here based on how high you can jump. You, you make it here knowing that he jumped for us. And, and that's what we celebrate, the work of Christ. 